So my pal Christopher Rufo has written a really interesting article for my friends at City Journal in which he talks about AT&T running a re-education program that promotes the idea that, quote, American racism is a uniquely white trait and boosts left-wing causes such as reparations to fund police and trans activism. Let me just read you a little bit of this. According to a senior employee who agreed to speak on condition of anonymity, managers at AT AT&T are now assessed annually on diversity issues with mandatory participation in programs such as discussion groups, book clubs, mentorship programs, and race re-education exercises. White employees, the source said, are tacitly expected to confess their complicity in white privilege and systemic racism. So this is going on all around the country. And, you know, I've been thinking about this and it's really it's really a wonderful new idea uh, that we should hate each other for the color of one another's skin. No one's ever thought of this before. In the old days, of course, we just all thought, you know, we'll judge each other on the content of one's character uh, and not think about this. But now we have this wonderful new critical race theory that says, no, 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 we should judge each other on the color of our skin and whatever a person of my color skin or your color skin has done, you are to blame for. And I'm fine with that. I'm absolutely fine with that. As long as, as long as we're fair about it. If you're going to blame me for all the bad things that white people have done, I want you also to credit me with all the good things white people have done since, you know, I'm just the sum total of the color of my skin and I'm linked to every other person who has my skin color and what they've done. So if if I'm going to pay you reparations for the bad things white people have done, that's fine. But you also have to pay me royalties for all the good things white people have done. So, you know, if you see me on the street, you, you know, and you say you're a black person, you feel free to come up to me and say, excuse me, but I really didn't like it uh, when you kept me a slave. Uh, and so I want you to pay me, you know, I don't know, what's that worth? Maybe $10,000. And, you know, but then I want you to say, but, but listen, thanks for antibiotics and computers and, and cars and electricity and, uh, you know, medicine, modern medicine, uh, you know, because white people kind of invented all that, too. So I'm going to pay you. I don't know. That's worth what? I, I don't know, Fifty million dollars, something like that. So, you know, we exchange we can exchange things. And, and I can say to you, if you're a black, I can say, well, you know, I don't like all the crime because black people commit a, a large number, disproportionate amount of the you know, violent crime. You may be innocent, but we're just going to judge you on just, you know, as we've been through the AT&T retraining program. So I'm just going to judge you on the color of your skin. Uh, I'm going to blame you. For for a crime that any black person anywhere has has committed and you have to pay me reparations for that. But but I like jazz. Jazz is good. And, you know, uh, there are many black athletes. So I'm willing to pay you some royalties for that. And that w- that way we can just really, uh, you know, just keep going back and forth, giving, you know, the blame for the color of your skin and the things people who are your skin color and my skin color have done, but also giving the credit that's due. And we can just exchange money. And I don't know, you know, how we'll calculate this. Maybe AT&T, uh, you know, has a computer that can calculate the amount of money that is due to me for things that I didn't do uh, but take credit for because it was done by people of my skin color and how much money I have to pay you for things that weren't done to you but were done to people of your color. Because, you know, the argument about this, the argument about this is that the systemic racism that doesn't exist, but we pretend we have to pretend exists or else we get a bad report at at and So the systemic racism that we have to pretend exists has kept black people down economically. And no one, you know, has ever else, no, the Jews have never suffered any bigotry and Irish have never suffered any bigotry, but blacks have. So they've been kept down uh, and they have not accrued the savings 
that they could have accrued if black, if white people had not been systemically keeping them down. But they do have health that they wouldn't have had if white people hadn't invented antibiotics in modern medicine. So that should go in the other direction, right? We should credit this. Or, or here's a, just another thought, another thought. This is the stupidest most evil idea that anybody on the left has come up with since the last stupid evil idea that the left came up with, and maybe even as evil as the next stupid evil idea the left is going to come with. And shame, shame on AT&T for buying in to this bigotry. If you like this content, and who wouldn't, subscribe and give us a like. The Twix candy company wants your 10-year-old boy to start wearing a dress. They just released this new commercial in partnership with Freeform, formerly known as the ABC Family Channel, but since the cultural Marxists hate families and are doing everything they can to undermine the basic fabric of society, they renamed the network to Freeform because anything goes. In the commercial, the boy meets his new nanny, who's a witch, who embraces his dress. And later, when a normal kid starts making fun of him, she uses her magical powers and kills him. Of course, that's not the only commercial that has absolutely nothing to do with the junk food itself. Doritos just put out this ad in Spanish for Dias de los Muertos, which is the day after Halloween. It's a Mexican holiday where people commemorate their dead relatives and they set up an altar in their memory and put out a plate of food for their spirit and have a big party. And so Doritos has this commercial where their dead uncle, Uncle Albert, comes and visits them and reveals that he's gay and he now found a boyfriend in the afterlife. I'm serious, this is not a parody. This really is a real Doritos commercial and it really is what the commercial is about. This one's not a Halloween commercial, but it's a real ad for Bingo over in the UK, which features, of course, another drag queen. Then there's this Pantene shampoo commercial featuring two lesbians and the former son that they were raising who miraculously just decided that he wants to be a girl instead. And now they're the proud parents of a transgender 10 year old girl. Sawyer is an old soul. She is our uh, spunky and creative kiddo. She has always been super gender creative and hair has been a big part of her transition. Once she told us that she identified as a girl, she immediately wanted to grow her hair out. It made me feel good and confident and it made my insides match my outsides. And I'm sure you saw the Blue's Clues cartoon included an episode with a drag queen singing about how great gender non-binary people are. This is aimed at children ages three to five, by the way. All they wanted was the right to be married, they said, but now they're bombarding America with endless propaganda from Nickelodeon to kids' candy commercials that your 10-year-old son should be a drag queen. At the Burlington, Vermont High School this year for homecoming, where Bernie Sanders lives and was once the mayor, they had a drag queen show during halftime at the game. Um, in a sport that has traditionally been very masculine, it's really good for us to be able to add um, kind of a gender-bending aspect to that. BHS students, along with students from South Burlington and Winooski, creating their own persona. School administrators proud of how their students have come together and the allyship they've shown each other. Sorry, but it gets even worse. At Wilton Manors Elementary School yesterday in Broward County, Florida, one of the school board members 
took the elementary school kids to a gay bar for a field trip where most of the items on the menu have names that are sexual puns. She proudly posted pictures on her Facebook page saying that this was an annual event, so who knows how many years this has been happening. I blurred out the kids' faces, by the way, for their anonymity, which she did not. She's proud of her grooming, and the Babylon Bee predicted this. You may have seen that the Babylon Bee has a pretty good track record of predicting the future through their parody articles because the insane things that were once a joke then become something that the liberals actually do. And two years ago, they posted this then-parody article, California School System to Feature Mandatory Second Grade Field Trip to Gay Bars. And now it's happening in Florida. It's probably happening in California as well. We just haven't heard about it. Now you're homophobic if you don't want your eight-year-old hanging out in a gay bar and learning sexual puns. You're not supposed to disagree with any of this cultural Marxism. And if you do, and you use too strong of language, anything other than just simply saying, I don't think that they should be doing that, then you'll be accused of hate speech and you'll get canceled, censored on social media. You may recall that one of the strikes that Alex Jones got on YouTube was for saying that parents bringing their children to a drag queen show and then giving the drag queens dollar bills, saying that was an abomination, got him one of his strikes for hate speech. And again, real quick, if YouTube bans me, I'll rise again over at Rumble. I have a channel at rumble.com slash Mark Dice. I haven't been posting over there. The channel's there. It's my backup plan. It's plan B. So just know that if they dump me down the memory hole, they censor me here. Go find me over there. And then I'll really take the gloves off. As you know, it's a thought crime just to start noticing things if you don't notice them with excitement. Like this story from NBC News. Quote, Here are 19 queer horror films to put towards the top of your watch list. And now the government is offering people passports with the option of including X as their gender for neither male nor female. Or both. Or any supposed gender that they want. Many states have been doing this on driver's licenses for years now, and now the Biden administration is giving people passports with unlimited genders. It's looking like a nightmare out there in the big cities and the blue states, and that's not just because Halloween is just around the corner, it's because the Marxist revolution continues to push ahead. There is some good news, however. Bryson Gray's Let's Go Brandon song is still number one on iTunes, and last I checked, there were actually three Let's Go Brandon songs now in the top ten. And in case you haven't heard, you can get your Let's Go Brandon shirt from my online store at markdice.com or click the link in the description below. And now there's also an embroidered Let's Go Brandon beanie as well. Or if that's not your style, get an Arrest Dr. Fauci shirt, a Save the Triceratops shirt, or any of my awesome designs. All available in a t-shirt, long sleeve, and a hoodie, and a whole bunch of different colors as well. So head on over to markdice.com or click the link in the description below and check them out. This test can only help you. Did you know it's perfectly legal for the police to lie to you? Let's look at some of these lies and how you can protect yourself. I'm attorney Andrew Flushi, and this channel is about protecting your rights and defending your freedom. The police have a job to do. It's to investigate crime and, frankly, to try to secure convictions. And if they think you've committed a crime, they may, in fact, lie to you to try to get you to admit to things. They do it routinely, and you need to be prepared how to deal with these lies. Let's look at some lies that may come your way. This test can only help you.
If the officer is flashing a breath test in your face and saying that you are going to go to jail if you don't take the test, that is a lie. The test absolutely can and will hurt you. If you take any test on the side of the road in a DUI investigation, those tests can and will be used against you in court to determine if the officer has probable cause to arrest you for DUI. So a lot of times the officers will say, oh, this handheld test can only help you if you take it. It's just between you and me. It doesn't go to court. Those are all lies along the same lines. Basically, they're trying to convince you to take the test that they know full well they will use in court to try to prove that they had a good reason to arrest you. There's a tiny kernel of truth in this lie in that in Virginia at least the handheld breath test cannot be used to prove in fact that you were intoxicated but that's not, the, not what they need it for. They need it to prove that they had a good reason to arrest you in the first place. Once you're arrested then they take you to the station to do the real breath test or they take you to the hospital to draw blood and that's how they prove your actual intoxication. So this test can only help you is flat out a lie. I can't help you if you won't talk to me. This is another flat out lie the police use to try to get you to open up and talk to them. They're trying to make it out like they're on your side or they're your friend and they're trying to help you. And if you only tell them what happened, they can try to help you with that information. In reality, they're looking to see if you're guilty of something. They're looking to see if they can arrest you for something. And if you open up and tell them what happened, they absolutely can and will use it against you to arrest you. So the idea that if you talk to them and tell them what happened, they're going to help you with it is also a lie. We already know what happened. In some cases, they may in fact already know everything. And in that case, it may seem like it doesn't matter if you talk, you're already hosed. Well, keep in mind there are rules of evidence. There are different defenses that could be used in your favor. If you talk, that's going to be an admission or a confession that will be used against you in court. And so even if some of the other evidence the police have is ultimately not admissible, if you confess to the crime, now that's going to be admissible. And so it's going to make their case stronger. So even if it's true that they do know what happened, you don't want to confess unless you're getting some kind of consideration out of it. And that's something you would need to talk with your attorney about. Don't trust the police that they're going to try to help you with the information. that They already know what happened, so you might as well just tell them. Only confide in your attorney, and your attorney can maybe work out some consideration for the information you may want to provide. But in many cases, the police don't already know what happened. Maybe they know some things, maybe they have a hunch or a guess, but they can't a lot of times prove beyond a reasonable doubt in court what happened without statements or admissions from you. If you keep your mouth shut, you'll have a much better chance of staying on the correct side of the prison wall. Now's your chance to tell me your side of the story. False. Your chance to tell your side of the story if you and your attorney decide it's in your best interest is in court in front of the judge or the jury. That's the time to tell your side of the story. You'll have a day, you'll have a chance to defend yourself, to put on evidence, to testify. If you choose, that's when you get to tell your side of the story and defend yourself. If the police are interrogating you and using this argument against you to get you to talk and tell them what happened, they're trying to play on that human emotion where we all become defensive. Anytime someone accuses us of something, we want to become defensive and we want to say, well, well, maybe I was there, but I didn't do what you're claiming I did. Now you've just admitted that you were in the location of the crime. That's one piece of the puzzle they needed to put, put together. If you had kept your mouth shut and remained silent, then they wouldn't have that information against you. The whole idea that in the interrogation room or on the side of the road is your time to tell your side of the story, that's just flat out wrong. That is not the time to argue the case. That's the time when the officers are collecting evidence against you. 
They're trying to figure out what happened and they're trying to determine if you're going to be charged with a crime. Now you may think, well, if I just tell them and you know, I'm innocent and they, they won't charge me with anything, the odds are pretty strong that they actually will. If you remain silent, you have a much better chance of defending yourself in the long run if they do charge you with something. And then you can talk with your attorney about what your side of the story is. And then you can decide together if you're going to present that in court via your testimony or via other evidence. I'll let the judge know you were cooperative. This one is sort of a half-truth. Frankly, a lot of officers really will let the judge know if you're polite and cooperative with them. It's one of the key questions we ask a lot of times in traffic cases, you know, did, did my client pull over right away? Were they cooperative? Did they cause you any havoc? And that can, can matter to a judge. But frankly, it doesn't matter as far as giving you extra consideration. Being polite and cooperative doesn't is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. Being a jerk is a go-to-jail card in some cases. So being super cooperative with the officer doesn't necessarily get you anything extra. It may prevent extra punishments in your case. But the other thing is the, the officer in many cases doesn't have a lot of discretion. Once they've written the ticket, once they've charged you with a crime, it's really not in their hands. So even if they truly think that you were being honest and you, you were forthcoming with them and they appreciate that, they may not have any control over whether or not you're ultimately charged with a crime, they may not have any control over what happens with the ultimate disposition of the case. They might have put in their two cents with the prosecutor or with the judge, but ultimately it's not their decision usually once the charging process begins. They may intend to say, yes, you were polite and cooperative with them, but it may not really get you much of any place. I would say you should not be rude to officers and you should definitely be polite, but that doesn't mean you have to answer their questions and that doesn't mean you have to perform voluntary tests for them. To learn more about how the police can lie, manipulate you into convicting yourself, check out my next video on up Say. I'll see you over there. And remember, don't talk to the police. Do you know why I pulled you over this evening? How much have you had to drink tonight? I'm Andrew Flushy, your Virginia attorney, and I'm going to show you how to answer these questions and more to preserve your rights and protect your freedom. The most likely interaction most of us will have with a police officer is during a routine traffic stop for some kind of minor traffic violation. You need to be prepared to answer the routine questions that the police officer may ask you during that traffic stop. First, let's look at one way of how you should not answer the police questions. Do you know why I pulled you over this evening? Yes, sir. I'm speeding. How much have you had to drink tonight? Three beers. Will you please step out of the vehicle to do some quick tests for me and make sure you're okay to drive home? Sure thing, officer. Well, this approach gets you a gold star from Officer Andy for being polite and cooperative. This approach does not preserve your rights to protect your freedom. First of all, you've just admitted to speeding, which is against the law. You've admitted to breaking the law. Additionally, you've consented to do roadside tests that you are not required to do. Those tests are not easy to do well on, and you may be setting yourself up for failure. Let's look at another approach you could take. Do you know why I pulled you over this evening? No, sir. How much have you had to drink tonight? I invoke my right to remain silent. Will you please step out of the vehicle to do some quick tests for me and make sure you're okay to drive home? Now Officer Andy is in a pickle. If he suspects you of DUI, you're refusing to give him any additional evidence by which he can make a decision to arrest you for the, that DUI. He's going to have to decide, based on the information that he's gathered, whether or not he has probable cause to arrest you for DUI, or whether he's just going to give you a ticket or issue a warning for the original reason that he pulled you over. Let's go ahead and look at another scenario. Sir, I saw your phone in your hand. You were texting, weren't you? Yes, sir. I'm sorry. Wrong answer. Officer Andy likely just saw you holding your phone in your hand while driving. And currently in Virginia, that is not against the law. 
In order to prove that you were texting and driving in Virginia, Officer Andy has to be able to testify that you were actually reading a text or an email or something like that on your screen, or he has to be able to testify that he saw you inputting letters into your phone. Simply holding a phone in Virginia is not against the law, but you just confessed to texting. The side note here is that on January 1st of 2021, holding a phone while driving in Virginia will be against the law. So you definitely need to get your hands-free setup ready now and get in the habit of using it. We need to stop here and make an important point. You can exercise your rights and remain silent and not consent to tests without being a jerk. It is never going to help you to be a jerk to a police officer. You should be polite, but you don't necessarily have to cooperate and do everything that the police ask you to do. They're trained to do a job, and you also need to be trained to exercise your rights in a polite manner. So how should you respond when an officer asks you to search? You don't have any guns or drugs in the vehicle, do you? No, sir. You don't mind if I take a look around, right? Go ahead. False. Officer Andy is trained to lead you down a rabbit trail and then pop his snare once you're in it. Now you've just given him permission to search your vehicle. That's not a good idea because anything that he finds in that vehicle anywhere, he is likely going to try to pin on you. Are you sure that you know your vehicle's 100% clean? Have you had friends or coworkers in your vehicle lately? Maybe they left something in there that you're not aware of. Maybe there's something that you're not aware of that you left there from a long time ago. It happens routinely. And even if you're sure your vehicle's 100% clean, you don't need to have, let him search to prove it. Here's what you should do instead. You don't have any guns or drugs in the vehicle, do you? I'll remain silent. You don't mind if I take a look around, right? Am I free to leave? Officer Andy only gets to detain you for a very limited purpose and time if he pulls you over for a routine traffic violation. He either needs to issue a ticket or warning for that violation. He can run your license, make sure you don't have any outstanding warrants or anything of that nature. And then he has to let you go. Only if he develops additional reasonable suspicion or probable cause can he then extend the stop and keep you on the side of the road for longer. If you refuse his request to search your vehicle, he may still search your vehicle. You can't necessarily stop the police from searching. However, his search will have to be based on probable cause, which means that if he doesn't have enough actual probable cause to search, and he knows that, he may very well not search your vehicle. Or if he does have probable cause or he thinks he does, he may still go ahead and search your vehicle. And then you can fight about it later in court. But if you've given him permission to search your vehicle, there's no argument, essentially, unless we can prove that your consent was not freely and voluntarily given. Essentially, giving permission to search the vehicle is giving the police a blank check to search no matter what. What should you do if Officer Andy asks you to fess up? I smell marijuana in the vehicle. I'm going to find it anyway, so you might as well just tell me where it is. I don't consent to any searches. Many people fall for that line thinking that if they're cooperative and admit to the contraband, the officer might just throw it out on the side of the road, give them a verbal warning, and send them on their way. And frankly, sometimes that might happen. I know a lot of officers who are very reasonable and maybe don't want to waste their time with a little bit of marijuana or something like that. However, it's not guaranteed to happen. And if you fess up, if you admit to where the contraband is, you've just admitted to possession. You're admitting that you know what it is, you know where it is, and it's in your vehicle, so you have control over it. A lot of officers, if you admit to where the contraband is, they're simply going to proceed anyway with writing you a charge for whatever violation they suspect, whether it's marijuana, alcohol, tobacco, or something even more serious. They may simply not let that slide, and by telling them where it is, you've just confessed. If instead of telling them where it is, you simply remain silent and refuse any searches, 
Officer Andy may search anyway, and he may find what you have anyway, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're guilty. He has to prove that you were in possession of whatever he finds. You, there may be something in your car that you've forgotten about. There may be something in your car you never knew was there that a friend or a coworker left there, a family member. And Officer Andy will have to prove that you were in possession. Simply owning a car or being in a car where contraband is present does not mean you are in possession of the contraband. Through all this, remember to be polite. You don't have to do everything the police officer asks you to do, but you cannot obstruct justice and actually hinder their ability to do their job. But you also don't have to consent to searches. You don't have to do roadside tests. And finally, don't lie. It's much better to simply remain silent than trying to give the police some kind of line that you think is going to get you out of trouble. Frankly, they're good at their job, they're trained well, and they're probably going to see through your lie and you're just going to dig yourself a deeper hole. Much better to just remain silent. Sir, you're a tough customer. I'm just going to release you with a speeding ticket. I hope you have a nice night. You too, Officer Andy. If you refuse to answer questions, perform roadside tests, or allow the police to search you, you've done a great job of protecting your freedoms and your rights. To learn even more about protecting yourself, check out how Jim almost got scammed out of thousands of dollars. I'll see you in the next video. Hey all, so a few days ago, I reported on the Alec Baldwin rust set shooting and came to the conclusion that there was almost a 100% chance this was the result of not following gun safety protocol. And I had a ton of people jumping on me saying, Lauren, you just can't know this yet. You can't know if proper protocol was followed. You have to wait and see. Maybe he had permission to fire and something just went wrong. It wasn't set up properly. Well, first of all, if someone got shot accidentally, proper gun protocol was not followed somewhere. Two, we are getting more details about what happened that day, and absolutely none of them are making this situation better for Baldwin, the crew, or the production overall. In fact, it is getting a thousand times worse. So here are the top seven new pieces of information we now know. One, Rust crew have reported, as I expected, that one of the protocols for gun safety on their set was in fact the actor checking the gun before firing. Two, the armorer was an inexperienced 24-year-old girl who most likely got the job through nepotism. Three, Alec Baldwin was handed the gun not by the armorer, but by assistant director David Halls. Halls was on another movie set where a gun unexpectedly discharged in 2019 and was fired from said project. Four, there had been two misfires on the Rust set before the fateful shooting last week, so two incidents where gun safety issues had already been on stark display. Five, the film crew had already voiced complaints about gun safety to production management. Six, crew had walked off set over poor conditions and immediately new crew were just randomly brought in to keep the project rolling. And seven, apparently the gun Baldwin used was being fired off set for target practice with real ammo. Now, I get that people feel all of this chat about the shooting is a blame game in an overall unfortunate situation. And there is some of that happening. People trying to pass off the buck to one person or totally exonerate another for political reasons or otherwise. I don't care about that. I don't care who was involved. I don't care about the culture war stuff around this. I care that people know the gun safety was all wrong here. And don't keep saying stupid things like, how was an actor supposed to know? Of course actors point guns at people, it's for a movie. No, 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 no. Like that is just all wrong. 
Hollywood workers, stars, and set crew are all coming out left, right, and center in every news outlet right now, yelling at the top of their lungs, trying to have people realize that none of this, from armorer to actor, none of what happened is normal. That everything violated the protocol they are used to, and there are still people out here being willfully blind to that for some strange reason, because they want to own the conservatives by saying gun safety isn't expected of actors for some reason, trying to defend Baldwin, I don't know, it is bizarre. But today we are going to go through every new piece of information in detail and show how it further dismantles the ridiculous narrative that actors have no responsibility to check guns. So. The first heavy hitter piece of info that has come out in the last few days is that confirmation that yes, the actor is in fact expected to check the gun on set. This is pretty obvious for any standard gun user, as I mentioned in the last video. Yet I have repeatedly seen people argue that there is some sort of exception to gun rules when someone is in a movie, that gun owners are wrong about this. It is just not the actor's job. That is absurd, and not the case according to the Actors Guild, experts, other Hollywood armorers, and thank goodness not even those working on the set of Rust believe this. According to the movie location manager, Stacey Mickey Evans, there are massive protocols to stop these things from happening, including four people responsible for checking the weapon before it is fired. The armorist, assistant director, key grip, and then very lastly, the actor checks the gun. She concluded by saying, there was absolutely a failure here. Other actors like Ray Liotta, probably pronounced that wrong, have chimed in expressing their shock at how this could have even happened. As in movies, before firing or even pointing in someone's direction, everyone is shown that the gun is safe and that it doesn't work, especially showing someone you intend to point it at. Which yes, to be fair, is the one rare exception and difference from regular gun safety. 99% of the time on a movie set, you stick to regular gun rules. Never point at someone. But in movies, there are rare instances when everyone is notified and checks have been done that you can point a gun at another person or a camera, which is why movie set gun checks are significantly more extensive than checks when firing real bullets at a range. And if ever fired on set, the blanks are insured, never at someone, a tilt to the side of the camera, and protective gear is worn by crew. None of this happened. So let's take a look at the breakdown on each of the four levels. First level was armorist Hannah Gutierrez Reed. As mentioned, she was 24 years old and the daughter of Thel Reed, American exhibition shooter, stuntman, and armorer who trained Brad Pitt and Russell Crowe. Before this project, one of her first jobs was as chief armorer for The Old Way, starring Nicolas Cage coming out next year. In an interview about it, she stated, I almost didn't take the job because I wasn't sure if I was ready, and elaborated that she found loading blanks to be scary. Sources also claim that Gutierrez had given an 11-year-old actress a gun without properly checking it while on the set of the Nicolas Cage film. And of course, in typical internet fashion, uh, people have delved into every aspect of her life, eventually finding her TikTok page and pointing to her colorful hair and dance posts as a red flag. And that really shouldn't be relevant to this kind of conversation, but at the same time, I get it. Rainbow hair profiling is an imprecise science, but too often accurate, and no one really knows for sure if she only got the job from nepotism in this case, but uh, 
I will eat the camera I am filming with right now if that was not the case. Clearly, something went wrong at this level with the armorist. My heart still goes out to her as I don't actually think she should have been hired in the first place at her age and with her inexperience. And, you know, this is also just a weird little side fact, but sources connected to the Rust production have alleged that the prop guns were being used for target practice with real ammo offset by crew. So we don't actually know if she was the one who accidentally put real ammo in there, or if it was left in there after someone went for a fun little offset target practice, which is just insane if true. Either way, she should have checked it, but this is why we have next checks in place. So via the timeline, what happens after she fails to check the weapons, Gutierrez usually leaves the three gun props, and by prop I mean real guns being used as props, on a cart outside where the filming is being done. This also seems weird and unsafe, but apparently the gun cart was left outside due to COVID restrictions. This is where assistant director Dave Halls comes in. He grabs the firearm off the cart and hands it to Baldwin, yelling cold gun, indicating no live rounds, which never should be yelled when you have not actually checked the gun yourself to see if it is cold. So just mind-boggling behavior right there. But sadly, also unsurprising behavior. As mentioned, Halls was fired for a similar incident previously. While he was assistant director on the set of Freedom's Path in 2019, a gun unexpectedly discharged and injured a sound crew member. And quite frankly, sound crew member injured or not, the immediate firing of all those who were supposed to be responsible for checking the weapon, including Halls, after an unexpected discharge was the correct response by the production, which is why it is so disturbing that the set of Rust had already incurred two unexpected gunshot safety issues with no firings or even safety meetings occurring, leaving Halls and everyone else who made those mistakes around to pick up the guns and do it again. I'll quote a Rust crew source who said it best. The first time that gun went off without telling anybody, that whole department should have been replaced immediately. Clearly production thought better of it, decided to roll the dice and pay the ultimate price. They had struck out twice and were given a third opportunity. But let's put aside Dave Halls for a minute because clearly just like the armorist, there were negligence issues there. But still, there are two people left in that list that should have prevented this from happening. Next in line, the grip key, which considering the gun went straight from Halls to the actor Baldwin means the grip key was obviously skipped entirely. The grip key being the person holding the camera. That's right, exactly as stated by Ray Liotta earlier, the person who is going to film the shot gets to see and make sure the gun is safe first, which makes a whole lot of sense since there may be a potential risk there. Even if the trigger is not being pulled and the gun is pointing to one side of the camera away from them, it is a dangerous spot to be. Evidently, you're gonna be near the actor in the potential line of fire. In this case, Baldwin was doing a quick draw from the hip and I guess accidentally hit the trigger and those struck were in fact behind the camera. All of these protocols exist for a reason. There's a reason the camera person checks the gun. There's a reason there's triple, quadruple checking. So now we are at the last line of defense, the actor. We've had utter failure the whole way along that chain, but it could still stop here if protocol is followed. Never point the gun at someone unless entirely necessary for the shot. Never pull the trigger unless entirely necessary for the shot. 
only do either of these things when all the safety protocols have been followed, including extensive checks, loading blanks, pointing the gun at an angle, ensuring crew of safety gear, and of course, checking the gun and ammo yourself to ensure it is safe, empty, just blanks, whatever it is supposed to be. None of this happened, evidently. So all four lines of security failed here in the filming of Rust. Honestly, I would say it's even more than four, considering multiple crew members had already witnessed and complained about the previous gun discharges, and management could have and should have stopped filming at that point until things were solved. So why did that not happen? That's the biggest question here, and it appears we're starting to get some answers. Several hours before the fatal shooting, seven camera crew members had walked off the job of Rust, expressing their discontent with matters ranging from safety conditions to quality of accommodation. One crew member told the media that they never witnessed any formal orientation about weapons used on set, which normally would take place before filming begins, especially when they are using primarily, in fact, I think only real guns. And sources just keep coming forward every day with information about the Rust production cutting corners. One source told the Daily Beast they did everything they absolutely could to save a nickel at all costs. They put everybody in jeopardy in one way or another, whether it was hiring less than qualified people to deal with firearms, or it was the constant fight about housing people appropriately. In all my years of doing this, this is one of the worst productions I have been on. Instead of hiring seasoned union professionals because of the higher costs, the armorers were young, inexperienced, and non-union members who did not take their job as seriously as they should. The crew had even complained to the first assistant director over the prop gun misfiring on Saturday. The source claimed that all of us yelled at him, that better be on the production report, these guys are irresponsible and should not be here. So the crew saw the writing on the wall well before this happened, to the point where they were walking off and just weren't going to risk it. Yet management and production continued anyways. And I don't care what the politics are. I don't care about any of that stuff. People defending the producers of this film at this stage after everything that has come out is absolute madness. And yes, whether you like it or not, Baldwin was a producer of this film and not new to the industry either. He has spent a lot of time as an actor and knows the protocols, knows what a safe set is. Even those who worked on the set acknowledged this, and I quote, his production company is behind this. He is not just a victim of this, they said. I feel terrible for him. Let there be no question about that. I can't even imagine knowing what I'm feeling right now. I can't comprehend what he as a human being is dealing with but he is partially responsible because he is a producer. Well, I know gun safety people will always remain just as baffled by the lack of care here as I am. For those who seem to hand wave that away as not an actor's responsibility or a freak accident, fine. You shouldn't, but fine. Even so, there should be absolutely no hand waving away the utter negligence of the production company run by the actor. There should be no hand waving away the fact that they continued filming and playing with guns, pointing them towards people without double checking them after multiple misfires. This was not a one day freak mistake. All the signs were there. All the warnings were there. I said, maybe this is at least negligence last time. This time I'm going to say it was gross negligence. And you know what? Last video, I stated that when following protocol, you can use guns safely. You can use them as magnificent tools for a multitude of things, including 
making movies beautiful, and sets should continue to use them. I've changed my mind on that after reading all of this info. I don't think they should be banned on sets by any means, but I also don't think actors or Hollywood types have the responsibility or understanding of guns to ever be touching them again, or commenting on policy around them for that matter. If you're going to feel above protocol and cut costs and just, you know, wing it, opt for CGI. Hollywood, leave the gun handling to the people you call rednecks and mock. But anyways, the investigation is still ongoing here. There's more information trickling in, but uh, I do hope that this has been or served as a solid update and clarification amongst the thousands of opinion pieces on this issue flying into our feeds every hour. And I look forward to reading your comments. I will chat with you all next video.